We're going to read from the Bible now and it'll be up on the screen. It's Matthew 19. Now, when Jesus has fin- when Jesus had finished saying these Sorry, let's start again. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The the disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only to those whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have been made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, kids. Uh, I'm Jeremy. I'm the lead pastor here at City Lights. Great to be with you and gathering with you this morning. Um, and thank you for making it through the maze of telehandlers and whatever else is out there. We just get new surprises every week, so it's great to be a part of that and it's an exciting part of church life too. Um, but a couple of things to draw your minds to. Um, one, just as an encouragement, um, at the beginning of the vision series earlier in the year, we said we'd love to raise 21000 to see us fully funded heading into the year, taking on a ministry trainee, running the biggest hour forever, and, um, and uh, upping our training and support for leaders. And at this point on the last day, we are over 23,000. So I think that's really worth celebrating. And that's the second year in a row that you guys have just been so generous that God's grace has abounded in generosity. And we've gone over the, the amount that we we're looking to raise. And that just makes the possibilities for ministry so much wider. So thank you so much f- for being a part of that. Um, it's a huge thing. The other thing is, just doubling on um, Kiz's announcement about Easter, it's going to be a great Easter together, a great Easter Friday service, but also on Easter Sunday, we're going to be celebrating baptisms together. And a few of our members here are getting baptised. And if you haven't been baptised or don't know what it's all about, and you want to know a bit about our theology of baptism and why it's significant, and in other ways why it's not, um, we'd love to get in touch with you and now's the time to do that because it's a great opportunity to celebrate something pretty special as a church community and we'll be doing that on Resurrection Sunday so look forward to that. But today we are, we are moving through the Gospel of Matthew and we are into a section where Jesus teaches on something that's pretty interesting. I don't know if you are paying attention to the reading before. Part of the reason that we move through books of the Bible is because you have to come across passages like this where Jesus is teaching on tricky things like marriage, divorce, singleness, and everything that's caught up in it. But the reason that that's pertinent is because I don't know if you know, but we only just recently passed a significant statistical year when it comes to marriage, divorce, singleness, and all these things. Did you know that in 2020, 
The ABS, the Australian Bureau of Statistics, recorded the largest ever dip in marriages. So it was 30% down in 2020. And there's an obvious reason why, because obviously that was the year the pandemic broke. But what's interesting about those stats is that in the same year, of course, the divorce rate didn't shrink because the, the median divorce years around year eight to 10. And so for the first time in Australian history, for every three new marriages, we had two divorces. Now, there's no need to be like alarmist about this. There'll obviously be a correction in the statistical, you know, sort of years following that. But it's interesting to see what the flow on of that will be. Because if you add on to that the fact that people tend to be getting married later, so spending more years as single people, it means that heading into the future, it's going to be important that we would be a church that has a robust theology of things like marriage, singleness, divorce, dating, all these things. And so it is helpful that as we move through the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus touches on these things. They don't just operate at a statistical level, do they? These things play out at a very personal level. I was struck by this recently when I was sitting at a cafe and I overheard a conversation. So, uh, a girl had come there who was obviously a regular there and the barista said to her, oh, you got engaged. So she'd noticed that she, I just realized I don't have my wedding ring. That's a <laughs> little reminder for me. Um, you can ask me what, how I lost that another time. The church has been through that enough times. Um, but um, she noticed she'd had a, an engagement ring. She's like, oh, you got engaged. And she's like, yeah, I did. And her face kind of lit up. And then she said, actually, um, he's had this ring for two years. So two years ago, I was kind of cleaning up the laundry and it fell out of his pocket. And I thought, oh, wow, he's going to propose. And then just it kind of went away. And so she wasn't sure. And then, and then she said, but this time he actually proposed. And he said, yeah, he was just waiting for the right time. And in my mind, I thought, I hope he gave you an apology before he gave you that wedding ring. Because that is kind of cruel, isn't it? Like to know it to be... Living with someone, knowing that they wanted to get married, and then for you know, getting a wedding ring, and then being like, you know what, I'm just going to chill on this for like two years, see what happens. But I think it probably played out two potential visions for what it means to live the happy life or the good life. On one hand, you had a woman here who was so committed to the vision of marriage and family that she was willing to wait with this guy who was. Seems reasonably unwilling or unable to commit to this relationship. And on the other hand, you had a guy who was wavering between whether or not the good life was getting tied down with marriage and responsibility or keeping your freedoms and wondering if you could maybe kind of do both at the same time or see how long that lasts. And it's interesting as that plays out in our culture that often these are the two sort of competing visions for what it means to live a happy life. Does it mean to be free from responsibility and able to do whatever I want, pursue whatever opportunity? Or is the happy life to get married and to follow that track, and without that, I can't be happy? Because either of these, if you hold to them, Jesus is going to say in this passage, will end up stitching you up. That's the truth of it. If you believe that marriage is what life is all about, what happens when you do get married and you find out actually this is really challenging? Or if you thought being single and free and unencumbered would bring happiness, what happens? When that doesn't seem to bring a fulfilling, meaningful, purposeful life? What happens if you find yourself divorced or single or you have a freedom that you actually didn't want, but this is where you are? It can make the future seem terrifying, even. What Jesus is going to say in this passage is that the meaning of life is finding joy in God and not in marriage. 
that actually the hope of the gospel is that we can know a God who made us, created us, and loves us, and that's where true joy is found. And if we can understand that and grasp that truth, then it can bring life, whether you are in a marriage, whether you are not in a marriage, whether you want to be married or don't, or whatever it is. That to know God means to know real joy. And so we're going to dive into this passage, but I'm going to pray, because as you can tell already, we're navigating through a bit of a, a, a few landmines. And so I want to pray that what I say would be wise and biblical and would follow what Jesus teaches on these things in Matthew 19. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you that you are a good father who loves us and who knows us. And we just pray that as Jesus opens up these teachings on marriage and on singleness and all these things, that you would help us to see your heart, your grace and your goodness to us in Jesus. And we pray all of this for the sake of your holy name. Amen. This passage starts with a group of Pharisees who really want to pick a fight with Jesus. Look what happens here in Matthew 19.1. It says, Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings... Now, am I coming through a bit... Is that too loud for you? You're okay with it? Okay, great. It's just, I don't like my voice that much. But if you can put up with it, that's great. It says, Now, when Jesus finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? So Jesus travels from Galilee in the north all the way down to Judea where Jerusalem is the capital. To give you context, that's about 100 kilometers, so kind of lower end of the central coast down to Sydney where we are now. And he's traveled that far, and when he arrives down there, Large crowds are gathering around him. So people have heard about Jesus. They've heard that he does crazy things. They heard that he gets into fights with Pharisees. So everyone wants to come. And see. It's like a schoolyard. You just pile in to see if there's going to be a biff. And so they're, they're coming to hear about Jesus. And these Pharisees come to pick a fight with him. And they start with a question that's a loaded question. So again, this is kind of like the, the press gallery questioning politicians, trying to trap them, ask them a question where there's no right answer or you're going to upset someone. So they ask him this question. They say, Jesus, is it okay for a man to divorce his wife for any cause? And they know that this is a hot-button issue at that time, that there are two schools of thought about this particular verse, and it comes from an old text in Deuteronomy 24 about divorce. In Deuteronomy 24.1 it says, When a man takes a wife and marries her, if, he then finds no fa if she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he, he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. And there were two opposing views on this text. So one group, the Shamites, they believed that marriage was binding, it was for life, and that the reference here to indecency was marital unfaithfulness, that is, if they've been sexually unfaithful, the marriage covenant is broken, and therefore there can be a divorce and remarriage. That's one group, the Shamites. Then you've got the Hillelites, who emphasized the idea of it being for any cause. So for any reason, the husband could get a divorce. But more than that, they read into it that it was the man who could do this and not the woman. So it was quite unevenly paired. So a woman could get a divorce, but it was incredibly difficult to do that. The grounds were if her husband was not providing financially or sexually or physically. But the husband here was able to get a, a, a divorce for any and every reason. And when I say any and every, I mean any and every. Let me just read to you from Rabbi Akiba of the first century. And he writes... 
interpreting this particular passage, that a man may divorce her even if she spoiled a dish for him, even if he found another fairer than she, for it is written, and quotes Deuteronomy 24, and it shall be if she find no favor in his eyes. So if he didn't like her cooking, or he did really like her, but he just found someone better, he could write a divorce and the marriage was done. And they're asking Jesus about this. They're saying to him, who's right? And interestingly here, the two parties are waiting to see who Jesus is going to say is right and wrong. And typically, Jesus is on no one's team and he's got heat for them both. It reminds me of when I was, when I was in high school. I had a friend whose name was Nathan. And as I've shared before, every kid named Nathan in my generation was a naughty kid. And he was no exception. And we were playing basketball one time. And Daly and Sean were having a fight about, I don't know what it was. And they got into that zone that sometimes teenage boys do where... They didn't want to fight, but they didn't want to back down, so they got stuck in an infinite loop of push, like where they're just pushing each other and nothing's happening. And Nathan was annoyed about this, and he thought, I'm going to sort this out. So he walked in, and he hit Daly, and he hit Sean, and he said, there, you're done. And it was the most brilliant piece of teenage conflict negotiation that I've ever seen. And they were so baffled by what happened that it really did solve it. It was, it was done. Well, Jesus is about to go full Nathan on these guys, and he's going to hit the Hillelites and the Shamites, and the Hillelites are up first. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 19. It says, He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Jesus answers with something way out of left field for them. The Hillelites were approaching marriage like a contract. They were lawyers. And so they're like, if you get into the fine print, how do you cancel this contract between two people? Is it for any and every reason? If you just write it down, then it's done. And Jesus says, no, you're approaching the thing the whole wrong way. Marriage is not a contract. It's not a business deal. It's not a transaction. It's a covenant. And covenants in the Bible are unbreakable. There's a union there between two parties, in this case, between two people. The way they're approaching it is they're kind of like, marriage is like magnets. You have two opposites that attract, and if one of those sides loses charge or attraction, they just effortlessly slip apart. That's just what happens. And Jesus says, no, no, it's more like when you graft two branches together. You end up having just one branch, and the only way to break it is to break it and cause damage to both sides. He said it's more significant than that. It's a covenant, not a contract. And then they ask him the obvious question, well, then why, did, why are there these laws in the Bible around divorce? And look what Jesus says. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. These are heavy words he has for them there. Jesus said, yeah, Moses did allow for it. But he says, but from the beginning, it wasn't meant to be this way. It's not an equally and good option. He says, actually, it's very difficult and painful. He says, because of hardness of heart, he allowed it. Hardness of heart in Exodus is one of the main ways of describing sin. He says, because we live in a broken world and there is sin, it's really sad, but a marriage might get to the point where it is so broken that there needs to be a divorce. But he says, but from the beginning it was not so. This wasn't God's design. And that's why it's painful. And he says to these Pharisees, actually what you're doing 
is you're not committing your commit you're not co- sorry you're not honoring your commitment and your vows to your wife and they're writing themselves out of these marriages and excusing themselves from what they're doing and Jesus says you know what just call it what it is it's plain adultery you're walking out on them now things have changed a lot since Jesus had this interaction with the Pharisees and in our context marriage and divorce plays out very differently but there is a myth of a harmless divorce the idea that the two people can just can be married and then just elegantly slide apart and Jesus is saying it's not the case that it hurts it's painful and it's difficult there is no harmless divorce because it's the breaking of a covenant but even with that it is the case that sometimes it is necessary and this passage Jesus is dealing with just one particular text and this isn't the only grounds of divorce that's outlined in the bible that we don't have time to go into to all of this but later this week I just want to follow up with a bit of research I've been doing on this just to help you think biblically about these things but at the very least in uh, Corinthians 7 the grounds for divorce are not just adultery but also abandonment and abuse and while we're here and on this I want to say that if you are experiencing physical or sexual abuse in marriage that that is grounds for divorce but more than that that may not that may be way off your mind at this moment But what you need right now is to separate from your abuser and to be safe. And they might be saying to you that if you separate from them that you're the one breaking the marriage, but they are in fact the one who has broken the covenant. And that you need to get safe and to know that there are people here, there are leaders and staff and other members who will help you, who will listen to you, who will believe you and help you to get safe. And it's not the case that God is mad with you for this. But his heart is broken with you and he loves you and he is a God who is a heavenly father who protects. And we want to have a church community that protects one another in this. And so I just want to put that out there to you that if that's something that you are experiencing for your safety and if there are kids involved for their safety also that we can help you and want to help you. That we'll be discreet but also to know that healing can only happen after there's been separation and safety. So we want to be a church that uphold good and healthy marriages and that like Jesus have a heart to protect those who are vulnerable. And in this section here he sees that in that particular context these women are being set to the side by men who are saying that they're doing godly things and yet they're not. And Jesus calls it out and he calls them out in front of everyone. He says no that's not how it works. Marriage is a covenant and you're meant to honor that. And this prompts a very interesting response from his disciples. Look at how his disciples respond to Jesus teaching on marriage. It says the disciples said to him, "If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry." But he said to them, "Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven." let the one who is able to receive it receive it so the disciples after hearing Jesus teaching on marriage say wow that's huge who would want to get married now presumably their wives are not standing there with them right but at this point they're like wow that seems really full on Jesus who's going to want to do that and then Jesus goes on a curious kind of mini sermon about eunuchs now It's, it would be reasonably understandable if you don't know what a eunuch is. I don't know if I've ever had a 
conversation where that word has ever come up, just casually. But a eunuch was someone in the ancient world who was usually, usually a male, usually a male servant or slave, who had been castrated. So the genitals had been cut off. And they were, as a servant, that was done to them so that they couldn't get romantically involved in their employer, so usually a wealthy ruler, couldn't get involved with either their wife or wives or harem or whatever it was. And here, Jesus says, there will be some who have experienced this incredibly cruel practice of being made a eunuch. He also says there are some who are born eunuchs, which again, most scholars understand to be an ancient reference to people who are either gender diverse or transgender or intersex, maybe the term as well, that he's referring to. But people who were not able to participate in the biblical marriage between a man and a woman for whatever reason. And then he says... And there will be eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And what is this referring to? Jesus is saying there will be those who choose not to take a spouse in order to commit their life to advancing the kingdom of heaven and the gospel. And Jesus was one of them. Who chose a life of singleness and celibacy, who never married, in order to serve God. Now this is radical teaching. See, first, Jesus says something that's going to upset the Hillelites. He says, your vision of marriage and divorce is wrong and it's unbiblical. But now to the Shamites who would have believed that all of life was about getting married and having a family and that's what's important to God, he's now saying to them, actually, that's not what's most important. That actually, because of the gospel and the kingdom of heaven, there might be some who choose not to take that path, even to advance the gospel and to live lives of celibacy for God. It's a shocking teaching. And in this little interaction, Jesus has probably shocked and silenced the entire crowd that's there. But what Jesus is saying really gets to the heart of whether or not you get the gospel. So the question at the bottom of all of this is, is God enough? Is God really enough? When Jesus describes the kingdom of heaven earlier in the gospel of Matthew, he says, it's like a man who goes and finds a treasure buried in a field. Then he goes and sells everything he has to go and buy that field. He says, finding the kingdom of heaven, that is finding relationship with God, is so good that you would in fact be willing to lose everything else in order to gain that one thing. That actually joy in God is the treasure worth possessing in life. In fact, the only one that life and death cannot take from you. That's why Paul, who followed Jesus who himself was a eunuch for the kingdom, although I doubt he introduced himself that way, but was someone who was single for the gospel, had said, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He says his joy in knowing God is the supreme treasure of his life. What Jesus is saying through this passage is that marriage and singleness can be very challenging. But that our joy is in God and not in marriage. And see, it is the case that in order to manage the challenges of either singleness or marriage or whatever it be, that without a joy that is supernatural and from God, both of those can be very difficult to manage. Can't they? What we need is a joy that transcends our circumstances, that will give us resource and strength 
even to face the challenges of whatever life brings to us. You can think of it a little bit in this way. I don't know if you've heard of the, I don't know if you call it the myth or the fable of Fortunatus. Who's a literary someone who can, yeah, okay, great. Um, but Fortunatus, the, sto the story kind of goes, it's got, like many kind of fairy tales or fables, it's got many different iterations. But the general kind of through line is that he meets the goddess of fortune who gives him a magic bag and basically he can take a coin out of it whenever he likes and it will infinitely be replenished. So he basically has an infinite resource of wealth wherever he goes. And then the moral of the story is he passes it off to his kids and they squander it and blah, 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 right? But he has this, this bag with him that is a constant and infinite source of wealth. And I think it's a helpful illustration of what it's like to have genuine joy in God. You have a source of strength and peace in God that isn't dependent on your circumstances. You can draw on at any time and it gives us strength to persevere in difficult seasons. And in landing the application on this passage, I want to land it in a few different ways. If the truth is that my joy is in God and not my circumstances, then it transforms everything, doesn't it? For a start, it transforms singleness. I think in our culture, and maybe even the church culture you grew up in in particular, marriage can kind of be described as almost like some kind of a, a moral goal. And sometimes it can be the case that the prospect of being continual just seems uh, difficult. And whether you have never been married or you find yourself now single after having been married, the thoughts and fears can start to creep in about the future that maybe the possibilities of living a happy or meaningful life have, have, have been swept away from me. Sometimes even the thought can creep in, have I, have I done something wrong? Is God uniquely upset with me? Is that why things have been so difficult or so challenging? But Jesus sets the record straight here and says, no, that's not the case. What he says here is in this whole passage that the family of God and the kingdom of heaven will include many different people. And he says, yeah, even in this one, it includes people who are married, who are divorced, who themselves have either never been married or been married or who cannot get married or who have chosen not to or whatever it is. All of these will be a part of the family of God and valuable to God. This will be God's new family. God loves you enough to send his son to die for you. And it is the case that if marriage is the end goal, that really that will set us up for failure any which way we cut it. And I feel like this single thought that our joy is in God and not in our circumstances can release us to actually make the most of even the challenges that come with single life. And to even help you with that, we, a, few, a couple of members here at City Light have been meeting up to go through a discipleship course and it's designed for people who are married, single or, or whatever, but to actually grow in discipleship to Jesus and to not see this as a season where it's like my life is basically on hold until I get a marriage partner, but to know that even in that, God can be growing you, using you, and strengthening you in that time. And if that's something you'd like to be a part of, you're going to get an email a little bit later this week with a bit more details about it, but if that's something you'd like to do in meeting up with other people, we would love to help you with that. We would love to be a church that are helping people to grow and strengthen in their discipleship any which way. And so a great opportunity to do that would be at the end of this service as we fill out those slips. But that's the first one. The second one then is, this transforms how we see marriage. If Jesus, is true, if Jesus is correct in saying that our joy is in God and not in marriage, 
And that transforms how we approach marriage as well. See, people can come into the mindset with marriage that it's going to be the be-all and end-all, and then the first time it becomes very challenging, in that moment, people can find themselves just discouraged into the ground. And because of that, people just stop working on their marriages. And the irony is that the more that you invest and think that all of my life's happiness will be found in marriage, the more difficult it will be to have a happy and healthy marriage. See, when it's the case that we believe that marriage is going to be the source of all our happiness and not God, the irony is that it puts it further away. And it's for two reasons. When you believe that your, marriage, your happiness is tied up in marriage, you will have incredible expectations of your spouse and ones that they can never deliver on. In fact, it will lead you to be perpetually disappointed in you because they're not able to fulfill your every happiness. And when you are unhappy for any particular reason, you'll be likely to put it on them as their fault. And that makes things very difficult. But secondly, you won't be able to work through difficult issues because you'll feel like, look, my happiness is tied up in them being happy. And so if I bring up things, challenges, difficulties in our marriage, that makes them unhappy and I don't want to do that, so you just put it off forever. And because of that, what ends up happening is that people in a marriage just become very passive about it and you end up pursuing other things or getting busy with the kids or something like that and the marriage itself starts to just deteriorate. But to know that our joy is in God and not in marriage frees you up with the resources to work on it from a space where you are secure and when you know you are loved by God. And so I want to encourage you in two things if you are here and married. One is to trust God that your joy is in Him and that you can deal with the issues that you need to deal with in your marriage. If it's the case that you are sitting here and as I say issues in marriage, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There are two or three things or maybe even one big thing that comes to mind straight away. I want to you to start taking steps to deal with that. If that means going to marriage counselling or working things out, to start on that path and this week and not to put it off. And to know that God will sustain you through it. But the second one then is this. If it's not working on things particularly, it's encouraging one another. You'd actually be working on your marriage in the positive and encouraging one another week by week. And on this, I just have a word to husbands and to wives separately on this. A word to husbands, this may not be the case for your marriage, and this may not be where your wife is at, but generally it's the case, if the stats are kind of lining up correctly, that at the moment your wife probably feels exhausted and overwhelmed, and at the same time guilty that she's not doing more. Can I encourage you husbands to love your wives by encouraging them and also saying to them, hey, is there anything I could take off your hands right now? Is there any way I could be supporting you right now? And as a word to wives, statistically, your husbands are probably feeling two things. And again, this is not for every marriage. It's not for every situation. But he probably feels a little bit alone and a little bit inadequate. I heard a funny line this week that the greatest miracle that Jesus performed was not the resurrection, but that he was a man in his 30s who had 12 friends. Ha ha ha. One of them wasn't a great friend, obviously. But generally that's the case. 
And so if you've gotten to the point where things have become difficult and you've lost the heart to encourage one another, to have empathy for one another and just to encourage them. And if you wanted to go on with this, Mel and I are actually doing a challenge over the next few weeks called, I don't know, the Gottman Challenge or something like that. And it's a secular resource. So if your partner is not a believing person, it won't exclude them from it either. But something to just sow into your marriage encouragement regularly. You might be investing in it. And lastly, just a word to those who at the moment are dating or even considering marriage. And I want to have a word to women and men who are considering marriage. If it's true that our joy is in God and not in marriage, I think it impacts in two significant ways. And again, these are, these are not these biblical generalizations, these are observations, so you can take it or leave it. But I think for women considering marriage, it can be the case that, if, that the fear that I might be single may cause you to overlook major character flaws in a potential partner. To trust that God is my joy and not marriage can mean that I don't have to be beholden to the fear that actually I need to go with this guy because ultimately I may not find someone. Because when that happens, you tend to overlook major character issues that can be a huge issue. You can overlook the fact that he's not really taking responsibility for himself or his spiritual life or doesn't have a spiritual life. He's not taking responsibility for his own life financially or morally that he tends to blame others or even you for his own sin. You can overlook the fact that he doesn't get along with your friends and family and keeps trying to get you aside from everyone else, that he talks down to retail staff or people that he doesn't consider to have status. It might be any number of things. But there can be a pattern that the fear of being single might cause us to overlook character flaws in a partner. And I just want to encourage you that God loves you and that our joy is in God and not in marriage. And then it's not worth compromising their character simply to overcome the fear of being single. Just as an encouragement. For men, I want to encourage you in this. That if you trust in God, it means that even if you are sacrificing freedoms, that actually he is calling you to grow up as a man. That God is calling me out of boyhood where I let adults do the hard work for me in my life. And he's growing me up into a man who takes responsibility for my spiritual life and my relationships. And then in order to make vows like till death do us part, I need to be the kind of guy who is able to handle these responsibilities well and to trust God with them. To not give in to the cultural gravity to believe that actually the more I can preserve my freedoms and avoid responsibility, the happier I will be. But to trust that in the gospel, Jesus is enough. And that he's calling me upwards to responsibility. Now look, we've traveled through many different things just in a single passage, and I realize that we kind of get across everything in a single Sunday sermon. And that's why we have small groups throughout the week. That's why we have a church community to be here for one another week in and week out. But I just want to encourage one another that we would be a church community of grace who love one another and serve one another and build one another up in Christ regardless of what we are facing. To know that we're a church community who are here for one another. And if there is anything struck you this morning that we would love to actually meet up with you and to work it through that we might be a church community who honors christ with all of our life and that sees the gospel life moving through us in every area i'm going to pray that god would do this in our church let's pray father we praise you that you are a good god
We praise you for the gospel, that Jesus is our life, that he is the one who died in our place for our sin to set us free. And we just pray that we will trust in your grace, that you can and do transform us, and you continue to make us new and form us into the image of your son, Jesus. Father, we thank you that Jesus spoke on so many things, and we pray that you would strengthen us to hear what he has to say and to live it out. And Father, we pray all these things for the sake of your holy name. Amen.